This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, I told you that I'd be doing the last Love Tennis Podlet recently. Turns out to have been a lie. This is the last Love Tennis Podlet because I can't count, but we are now done. We are finally at an end. Uh, Wimbledon is closing down for another year. It's sometimes weird to think that this place exists for 50 weeks of the year because we really only think about it for two weeks. But uh, it does, in fact, exist for the other 50 weeks but I'm just seeing everything that's being shipped out and I can assure you there's a lot less stuff on site. Um, I'm James Gray of inews.co.uk and the iNewspaper. I've got George Belshaw, the famed tennis writer, uh, on the other end of the line. We're going to have a look back at a brilliant men's final. That statement in itself apparently is controversial. If you write that on Twitter, people will not agree with you. Um, I am always willing to concede that sometimes things are more exciting in the flesh than they are on TV. Um, but we shall discuss that anon. Uh, Novak Djokovic is the Wimbledon champion again. It's his fourth title in a row here, seventh overall. He's a 21-time Grand Slam winner. There are so very many records. He hasn't been beaten on centre court since 2013 um, because all of his losses since then uh, have come out on number one court, (laughs) which I'm sure he's fairly glad uh, he actually wasn't out there at all this year. George, a worthy winner? Yeah, I mean, look, you have to say so, don't you? He's shown remarkable consistency on the grass. Um, you know, I think there's an awful lot of context we'll kind of come on to, I think, with this win for Novak in terms of where it sits in his career going forward and, you know, the limitations he's kind of placed on his own career. But there's quite a lot of pressure on him before this tournament in many ways um, in terms of that goat status, which I know does wind people up. But let's be honest, that that is really driving Rafa <laughs> and Novak right now, this kind of climb for the most grand slams. Um, I thought I thought Kyrgios played really well in the match actually today on the whole. I think he would have caused a lot of people a lot of problems. And I was just really impressed by how 
no fact. Just I'm not saying he made it look easy. It was a tight, competitive match, but he just kept his cool. He wasn't getting engaged too much in what Nick was up to at the other end. He looked focused. I think Kyrgios's comments after the match were really interesting in terms of it was like, I don't feel he did anything that amazing today. He was just always there. And mm. that, that is kind of Djokovic in a nutshell. You know, there are amazing shots. People play down some of the amazing things he does on the court. He's a, a remarkable physical specimen, but he's just relentless, isn't he? I and mean, he just never stops. He's, just, you know, Calvin always goes, he's the greatest match player of all time. You know, if there was someone you'd want to play a match for you and your life depended on it, you know, he, he'd be that man. And uh, yeah, I thought he, he he's had another good tournament. It's, I wouldn't even say he's had to come out of third gear, maybe at times. Today was maybe a little bit higher, but he's, he's strolled through fairly comfortably, even in the moments where he's looked like he's out of comfort. He's then kind of just turned it around with kind of a plot, I would say, half the time. I think it's been really interesting. I think this is part of late stage Novak, um, as I like to call this current sort of iteration of him. <laughs> Um, we don't he, know how late a stage it is, by the way. Well, I mean. quite, yeah, we could have another five years or more, who knows. Um, but I think one of the things that has become his signature is comebacks. You know, he lost the first set of the quarterfinal, the semifinal and the final. And at no point did I really think he was going to lose the match, even when he was two sets down to Yannick Sinner. I really wasn't particularly confident. I still had Djokovic probably a 70% favourite at that point to win the next three sets. And it's because he's so often done it. And it, I think Jock, uh, Kyrgios summed it up quite well today. He's just always there. And that was, you know, he made like one unforced error in the third set. I think Either the third or the fourth set, I can't remember which one because they're quite similar. He made one unforced error. And like, again, a guy like Kyrgios has nightmares about playing someone who does that. You know, Kyrgios sort of said he, he didn't do anything amazingly, but the, the one thing he did give him credit for, and the one thing we should really give him credit for, and it's an obvious thing to give him credit for, is the return. I mean, I don't know how he gets to half of these serves, mm. honestly. He makes it look so easy. I know you're he... better in the flesh, James, so it's maybe a bit different. But even on TV, you're watching serves, Kyrgios sits down, it's like, he's going to get a frame to that at best, and then mm. it's back, and it's like deep, and it's difficult, and it's, 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 it's astonishing. Funnily enough, I didn't actually think Novak returned that well today. No? Like I, th- I thought, I thought he was going to return much better um, than he did. I mean, he, look, he, he didn't by the IBM stat tracker. He made no unforced errors on return. Now, admittedly, unforced errors on return are pretty rare because if you have a play oh, on the ball, harsh, isn't it, yeah, really? yeah, it's like it's like how do you define it? Um, so I don't think that stat's particularly useful. But it does kind of sum it up um, when he had, you know. Similarly, Kyrgios, and actually, George, you'll remember last year during the um, Berrettini final that Kyrgios, uh, Djokovic was hitting these 75-mile-an-hour second serves. Yeah. He did the same thing in the first set today. He was hitting 75-mile-an-hour second serves into Kyrgios' backhand, and he was firing them long. And I looked at it, I thought, has he just basically picked up his game plan from the Berrettini match and, and kind of played it again here? And actually, I saw Roddick talking about it on Twitter, Andy Roddick, who's a, a brilliant analyst, and I wish he would yeah. do more, but he just doesn't... He's not really that interested There's in this. year he came on the BBC, by the way, and oh. that was like my favourite year of all I time. Like, I know, but he was also a big tennis guy, and that's clearly not yeah. mass appeal. Um, but he did talk really well about how Kyrgios' backhand's kind of underrated, and that actually it's a very flat shot, and it doesn't do a lot, but it doesn't. it does very little, if you like. 
and it's very difficult to attack off and actually that was quite tricky for Novak he, he more often than not was slicing off the Kyrgios backhand you know which and he wasn't always winning those backhand to backhand rallies and it, in the first set it, if there was a mistake and I, I'm not tactically aware enough of how to deal with it but I thought that Djokovic shouldn't have been allowing himself to get into these sort of slice on slice rallies mm. where realistically he doesn't have much of a competitive edge you know if you go topspin to topspin in the backhand Djokovic is going to win that nine times out of ten but he was losing the long rallies in the first set I think he was down eight three in nine plus shot rallies for the first 11 games now that's completely insane against Nick Kyrgios who's looking for first strike and I think it was a reflection of how high Kyrgios's level was to begin with but I think it was also a reflection of maybe Djokovic just kind of programming the computer, which I think he does quite a lot. I think he's just like, let's get some more data into this computer. You know, let's just play kind of neutral tennis and then I'll work it out after that. And sometimes that'll cost him a set, but he knows that's not a problem. Do we ever think, you know, because this is happening, as you said, like more and more frequent, we call it late stage Novak, or at least penultimate late stage Novak. Um, is there a sense he's letting people go ahead? There is a sort of a hustle. You, you said this before. That? I don't buy it. I mean, I just don't. I, I, you know, when Kyrgios said the other day that he tanked the last game of the fourth set against Nakashima to try and, you know, to give him a false sense of security and think that he's gone, I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> I, I don't really think that. Uh, I mean, it was, it's possible. Was that good to do good it? Enough. It would be no, that wouldn't it? Yeah, he's good enough, and you know. I think he's devious enough if, without making that sound too derogatory. Like, for example, I don't think Rafa could do it because I don't think Rafa could make himself... He's not wired like that. Yeah, I just don't think... I think Rafa's too competitive. Like, I just think to the extent that he would find it difficult to lose a set deliberately, if you know what I mean. Um, and, yeah, I just don't really see him being able to do that. But I don't think it's impossible, I suppose. But I'm not sure... I'm not sure I really buy it, to be honest. He's just... It's it's too weird a tactic. There's too much risk associated with it. Like especially against a guy like Kyrgios, who, like, if his serve just gets into like you know into its ninety percent rhythm, like you just don't you just lose a set. Like like you just basically coin flipping a set on a tiebreak, and that you know, Kyrgios has won a lot of matches where he's won a set because his serve's brilliant for thirty five minutes and people can't get near him. And you know, let's you say Novak returned really well today. Kyrgios did hit 30 aces you know I mean it's I think bad. That, that's I think it's testament to how well Novak returned in the sense that Kyrgios served amazingly I thought hmm. he really you know I've seen Kyrgios have matches where his serve can go a little bit AWOL and there'll be a little bit of drop of conversation I, I thought he was just it was unreturnable about 90% of the time and Novak was still probably getting it back close to 50% of the time you know, so 30 aces doesn't, for me, doesn't demean Novak's achievement. Like, it would have been 60 against most people, I think. Hmm. If I could do the maths, I would work it out. But 30 aces having hit 125 first serves. Okay, there's the odd second serve ace in there, but not many. You know, that's that's 25% of Kyrgios' first yeah. serves. And Novak's gone on to win quite a lot of other points on serve, which I suppose is testament to your, uh, to your point. Um, I mean, so Novak won... 43 points on serve against on Kyrgios's serve when you consider there are 30 aces so, yeah that you can see that the math there is pretty good he's doing 65 percent of like 
serves that he gets back in play, he wins the point. And like you could see in the match actually times where Novak was just totally guessing. Hmm. And this is the other kind of dynamic to this serve return. The Kyrgios was so hard to read. There was the odd ace where Jokic was just gambling on the other direction and he was getting rhythm, trying to work out where he was going. So, you know, if you're thinking that he's then kind of happy to be aced if it goes past him because of that's how difficult it is to get to and then as you say he's actually having such a good success rate on those other points i think that's yeah probably kind of su summing up his his return strategy in many ways and yeah i thought you know it's a bloody hard serve to return you <laughs> made it you made a pretty good fist of it i thought it's it's actually one of those serves that when you watch it in the flesh you do get a different idea of it because you start to understand novak talked about it before the match about the fluidity of the service motion. Yeah. Like when you watch other people serve, there are stages. There's there's the toss, there's the load up, and you know the trophy position. I think coaches talk about, and it, it's kind of like you can see how people time their split step, how they time when they're going to read the serve. But with Kyrgios, there's no opportunity for that. He's got the big lean back. He shows you his sort of the sole of his left foot when he leans back to load up, and then he's just served, and and you've got no opportunity really to think at any other point. Um, so I can see why that really did for Novak um, at times, or at least in that first set. And, and a little bit like the women's final yesterday, there was a point in that second set when they were both playing really well, and it was a brilliant tennis match. And it was like, it was the exact boxing match that we were kind of hoping it would be. It was the big puncher looking for the big opportunity, and it was the skillful mover, you know, the sort of Vasily Lomachenko of the piece, moving brilliantly and trying to pick opportunities and for a, I reckon about maybe a set we got that maybe not the beginning of the second set but certainly the end of the second set and moments bits of the third set as well it just never I, I do understand why people at home will have said it it was boring to watch because you know the middle of the well George you shake your head at me but the middle of the first set there were 16 consecutive points on serve uh, in fact more than that there were 16, 17, 18 consecutive points on serve. That That's not brilliant to watch. When the ball got in play, the points were fascinating because you had a bit of a stalemate. There were lots of drop shots, lots of stuff going on at the net, which is great to watch. But I, I understand what people mean. If you're selective about which bit you watch, I guess it was boring. But See, I, this is where I totally disagree. That I think the, the quality so high that they're winning these long streaks. Like that's, that's how I view it. That I'm watching it like... You know, proper, as you, if we're taking like the boxing pun, you know, it's, it's clean, clean hitting. It's world class, top, top tennis. I don't understand how you can possibly sit there in that match and think, God, that wasn't very good. You know, what <laughs> bloody matches do you want to hear, people? Like, seriously, yeah. get a grip. Like, the level's astonishing. Like, I know, because people complain about these, like, tedious baselining matches that Djokovic right. and Nadal always play, and then you get a match like this, which is quite serve-dominated with kind of spates of other things, and they complain about that. I don't know. People will always complain, and it comes down to taste as well. You know, you always hear the vocal minority. I do love a big serve, to be fair. You know, that is yeah. a big bias for me. I, I love the Kyrgios serve. I, just, I can't get enough of it. I think it's mm. just one of the best shots in tennis and I love the Djokovic return and I, that for me in itself is a really interesting battle so maybe it's my tennis nerd coming through there, yeah. James. but I, I think people are being very harsh if I just I love anything today. I love anything that happens in front of the service line like you know yeah. Djokovic playing I mean there were a couple of drop shots Djokovic played today that were so clever and and just like awareness of space so there was a moment when it was one of these classic like slicing rallies and, and Kyrgios was on top of the the baseline to an extent 
but it was a slicing rally, backhand to backhand, and then Kirill sliced one a little bit wider, and therefore Djokovic could meet it a bit closer to the net, and he just played this perfect drop shot into the forehand side of the court, which is the kind of the hard side to get over the net, if that makes sense, because you're not mm. playing over the angle. And Kirill just never saw it coming and, and basically just slipped over on the baseline because he was so set in this kind of concentrating on the slice. And, and he played one or two others that I just, just thought were really fabulous awareness of space. I think, I think if you had your checklist for a match of everything you'd want to see in a match, you know, you've got to love a massive servant points. You know, that, that is part of the match. That's like your big knock, knockout blows. You know, mm. that's what Kirill can kind of turn a match. He goes love 30 down and he bangs four aces. You know, that's... That was gripping in itself, like serving under that pressure. But your amazing returns from Novak. You got your tweeners in there. We had an underarm serve. We had all this fun kind of dropping, drop shot stuff as well. Big ludicrously long rallies, gut punching, some screaming at the umpire, screaming at the fans. Yeah, I think you've got you've got all the ingredients for a great match. I, I thought it was a really good final. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh... May, the fourth set was a bit dull. I actually thought, um, I felt like it was really, I should point out, it was really hot today. Like it was 30 mm. degrees. It's, it gets humid in centre court, especially since they put the roof on it. Even when the roof's open, because it has extra kind of... Um, Cover. Yeah, cladding, I suppose, on the top of it. It means there's very little wind actually on the court on a day like that. And it was super humid. And, you know, at one point, Kyrgios was standing between points in the shade that the the kind of the back of the court provided. And I felt like in the fourth set, no games went to juice in the fourth set. And I felt like there was a sort of, they both kind of went, I'm not going to like put much energy into trying to break serve here because we're probably going to a tie break. And, and there was this kind of acceptance. The, the tie break was probably the most disappointing part of the match for me. Actually. Yeah. I, did, I didn't mind the set as a whole. You know, there was a few kind of ropey moments for Novak mm. when he was serving for it kind of late on, you know, yeah. kind of thinking about the drama of a fifth, but Novak just got ahead too quickly, didn't he? And yeah, yeah. I mean, he, yeah. he said afterwards that he read a couple of serves quite well and that, that gave him an opportunity and it did, it got him into points. I think there were three unforced errors from Kyrgios in the first six yeah. points and maybe five one down, that's game over. It was actually the time most of the match where his kind of external stuff where he's screaming at his box really affected his tennis. He just started mm whacking it for fun and taking on stupid shots like mm. forehands winners from yeah. miles beyond the tram line that you're just never going to make or make like one in 70. Maybe we should t- we, him, to be fair. It's quite impressive that we've made it 15 minutes into this podler and not talked about like <laughs> Kyrgios antics for want of a better word. Yeah. Um, there weren't too many of them although there were some significant ones. Um, he at one point got interrupted between first and second serve by a woman who had apparently been talking to him pretty constantly uh, from the second row in the on the far side in the sunny stand. How, how many drinks had she apparently had, James? She had, according to Nick Kyrgios, it's it, well, basically the umpire <laughs> said we can't kick her out. We don't know which one it is, and he's like, I can tell you exactly which one it is. And so Renner Lichtenstein says, which one? He's like, it's the woman in the dress who looks like she had about seven hundred drinks. <laughs> 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 who, who who then got coined Seven Drinks Lady on Twitter. Um, I managed to identify Seven Drinks Lady. Uh, I'll tell you exactly what happened after that. So Lichtenstein gets on the phone, goes, you know, there's this woman. Just look for anyone who looks like they had 700 drinks. She did not look like she had 700 drinks, by the way. So first, one of the service stewards, which are all the sort of military people that you see standing around, came up to her and had a bit of a chat and gave her a glass of water uh, and then went away. And then one of the security people in her suit 
came up and said, no, no, you need to come with us, love. And that was about three games later. And uh, so she went off. And then another security person came out and took the friend who she was sitting with, who looked like she might have been her mother by the age gap and the similarity in looks, and took her away. And then three games later, they all came back and sat down with loads of water. So I don't really know what went on there, but um, I should know. Did a breathalyzer or something? I don't know, because... (laughs) She she was in the second row, right, of the, the stand. So they've got to walk up the stairs to the vomitorium to get out. And um, I thought, well, here's the test then. This is, you know, this is like a roadside alcohol test. She's got to walk up these stairs. And she was wearing wedges and she did it almost flawlessly. So I don't think she had had 700 drinks. But, you know, Nick, I, Nick was... Re- go on. Did I misread that? I was having a read through the Kyrgios transcripts. Obviously, wasn't there just mm. before we came on. And there seemed to be a question from someone who said she'd had two drinks and was really supporting you. Did someone yeah. actually managed to track her down and there talk? Was was the there was a news journalist at the front who seemed to have tracked her down. I even heard there was an implication she was a lawyer of some description, but I really don't know. It's speculation at best. One to watch for tomorrow's headlines. Yeah, yeah there's a real front of the book story in there somewhere. Um, I mean, really, most of Nick's chuntering that was interesting, you know, he, that's when he got uh, an audible obscenity warning because he wanted, he wanted a first serve back for getting interrupted. And the umpire said no. And he then missed his second serve, and he said it's a, it's an effing joke. It's a joke, and so Liechtenstein gave him his third fine of the week. It takes him up to fifteen thousand um, pounds. I can't remember the people. There are a few people making the same joke, and maybe I'm just too easily amused. But I, I did. I wanted to give a shout out to the Twitter community for all uh, who were claiming the seven hundred drink uh, disturber was uh, the Royal Highness the Duchess of Cambridge. I thought that was very amusing. <laughs> seems unlikely somehow although i do think that prince george might have learned some uh, new vocabulary new in the front row of the royal box <laughs> him just going i heard grandfather philip use that once apparently he was asking um, went down with william to talk to novak afterwards and was just asking how on earth do you return <laughs> i mean it's it a fair like question. enjoyed it to be honest that's the best question i've heard all day and i've been in two press conferences um yeah, quite. Uh, there was also some good shouting from Kyrgios at his box, complaining that they kept relaxing at, at like 40-love and 40-15. I think what you have to understand uh, about Kyrgios shouting at his box is that it's actually like his expression of stress, and he's actually really talking to himself. Like, he, he did give up 40-love a couple of times, and it's actually him saying to himself, why did I relax at 40, love? Why did I relax at 40, 15? You know, the box is just a crutch, really. And, and he has also worked out in the kind of morality of tennis, you can't scream at line judges, you can't scream at umpires, you can't scream at your opponents, you can't really scream at the crowd, but you can scream at your box and no one will really have a go at you about it. I don't think it's okay, but if the box are okay with it, which it seems they are, and if Kyrgios is okay with it and he's not swearing, then I suppose we have to tolerate it. I mean, it's not a great look when he's, he did spend an entire sit-down, like, hollering at the top of his voice at them, which it, it's a bit unsavoury, but, you know, it's good drama. We need a bit more Gilles Savara action, don't we? <laughs> Just like, walking storming out. Storming off. I think I don't that's think... got to be the go-to for coaches, but I don't think you'd be brave enough to do that. Well, <laughs> I've, got, I've got a genuine question. When do they go to the loo? Because, like, if you're not there, like, you haven't got time in a changeover to go out and back in. And, like, I'm, I swear to God, his missus must have a she-wee or something because there is just no danger I could get through a three-hour match with all that stress where you just, like, stress drink water uh, and not have to go to the loo at some point. It doesn't make any sense to me. 
Yeah, you're like praying Novak goes off for a 10-minute toilet break as long as you can run downstairs. But actually, he, the thing is, he's, he doesn't stop yapping at them um, at the changeovers. I mean, that's often the no. time he's having the longest conversations. You can't yeah, yeah. really even nip off there. No, no, it's a problem. <laughs> anyway, uh, he was beaten in four sets, and we've barely talked about Nick Kyrgios. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Um, it should just be noted, by the way, George, before we move on to Kyrgios, uh, Novak Djokovic at the moment isn't going to play a Grand Slam match until May next year. Um, yeah. As it stands, he cannot get into the US because he's unvaccinated and he is banned from applying for a visa in Australia for three years because he was deported. Um, he said in press afterwards, we said, what's your plan? He says, well, I'm going to take a couple of weeks holiday and then hope for some good news from the US. Um, even if it says something quite similar about hoping, uh, Novak said, I'm not vaccinated, I'm not planning to get vaccinated, so the only good news I can have is them removing the mandate, um, which requires you to be vaccinated if you want a, a green card or a visa or anything. He says, I don't think an exemption is a realistic possibility. I don't know what exemption would be about so he's basically just, he says, it's just whether they remove or not remove in time for me to get into the USA. I was thinking about this earlier. This is a weird era, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of like when you hear people like going on about like Margaret Court's reckoning, like, well, it's not, she wasn't really that good. Just people weren't traveling to Australia. Like, yeah. this, this is going to be bizarre in a few years with like people looking back like, so why was Medvedev not a Wimbledon? What, what, why was a Novak at the Australia? Yeah. Like, people like 30 years time who didn't try to follow it at the time, just looking back with these records like, what on earth is going on? <laughs> Nick Kyrgios <laughs> makes four consecutive Grand Slam finals and everyone's like, well, there wasn't a full field for any of them, in fairness. Um, I mean, do we... Do all, we go on. I was just going to say, but in all seriousness, you know, this, this has a massive bearing on the legacy of these great guys because there's no, let's be honest, there's no... Uh, uh, I'm going to be careful how I rephrase this. I was going to say, there's absolutely no way Nadal wins the Australian Open if Djokovic is there, but I don't want to annoy our uh, Nadal fan base too much. But it's highly unlikely to me, given their Grand Slam records on hard courts, that Djokovic doesn't go there and win that. I just, I'm going to fact-check you on that, George. Is is that true? Is their Grand Slam record on hard courts that, that Djokovic-leaning? Yes. He's not beaten him since, like, 2013 at the US Open final or something like that. But is it, isn't it not the case that they've only played twice or something in that time? 
I just wonder okay, well, if he's this not is been a... on a hard court anyway, but he All has right. also. Yeah, to be fair, that might be a fair point, but he's not beaten him on a hard court in that time anyway. What was your overriding point going to be? Well, that we'd actually be talking about Novak on 22 right now and Nadal on 21. It was mm. going to be my kind of point. You know, that, that in itself is a massive bulge. If Novak can't play the next two and Nadal manages to win the US and Australia again, which... I'm not sure he will. I think Medvedev will come back pretty strong and that will be pretty close mm. um, at the US and Australia. But, you know, these are big, big implications. I actually think, you know, you know, US has always been a bit of a weird one for Novak, so maybe that matters less. But if he's out of Australia for three years and Rafa can get himself fit enough and pick up the odd one or two, then that's the massive implications. Go on, James, um, how many hardcore slam think, Maybe not as many as you like. I'd struggle for a slam, but... Um, outdoor 2019. Hard- it was. Uh, oh. Well, no, no. So I'm going to do overall tally outdoor hardcore. I think it's Djokovic 16-5. Now I've had to just quickly tally that, but I think that's the case, and that's career as a whole. Right, since yeah, career. That's career. Yeah, I don't think Nadal's beaten him since like 2013 on hardcore. Oh, actually, and now I've got it chronologically. It is 2013. The last time he's beaten him on an outdoor US hardcore. Final, I think it was. It was indeed. Yeah. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six seven consecutive outdoor hardcourt victories for Novak Djokovic. So I think you can reasonably say you expect him to win. It should also be noted they've only played twice on hardcourts outdoor in the last six years. But Djokovic did win them both in straight sets. I mean, the last one I watched that I can remember was the um, 2019 2019 Australian Australian Open Open. final. And that was brutal. I mean, that's one of the best matches I've ever seen Novak play. Mm. So, you know, I'm not going after Rafa too much there, but the way Rafa made other people look in that tournament to then have Novak do that to him was yeah. a real kind of sign of the golfing class. And it only took two there. hours. I mean, that is one, one-sided, to say the least. Yeah. Um, we should talk about Nick, Nick Kyrgios, the tennis player, a bit. Um, you know, he said afterwards, he <laughs> he said, oh, if I'd won, I might have struggled for motivation, but he didn't win, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but he, he did say that he felt like he belonged, he didn't feel out of place, he felt the match was within his grasp which may or may not be true, but one thing we can discuss is, where, you know, do you think he belongs in Grand Slam finals and more of them? Um, well, I mean, he belonged in the sense he made a really good fist of it today. He didn't strike me as someone... It didn't strike me as someone who was necessarily in their first Grand Slam final, to be honest. I wasn't watching it like this guy's getting completely overawed by the occasion. I thought he was just beating kind of by a pretty good guy on the day. He yeah. played... Well, I thought uh, I, I genuinely think he beats ninety nine percent of the field play like that or grass court today. I don't mm. think that's too uncontroversial. Um, my my one thing I would say about him is that I think we said before the tournament he had a really good draw. That was true. The draw got better with a lot of issues in that half of the draw. I'm thinking people like Berrettini, yeah, obviously Rafa pulling out of that match. Could he have kind of come through heavy metal matches like those? Even Felix, I think, was in that half of the draw. Would he have been coming through two or three of those and then kind of just keeping it close with Novak? I don't know. He beats Sissipas, which I suppose mm. is no bad thing, but I've often uh, often pointed out that he's not the graph court player. Many people think he is, but you still can't take that away from him. Um, but yeah, if, exactly. if he's seeded at the US Open, big if, but... Let's just say he goes and does well at Cincinnati. What's and maybe... he now? Like 37. Well, he's actually going to drop because of the points situation. So I think he's going to be 45. But, let, let, you know, 
let's say let's say he picks up some points in in the American hardcore swing and gets himself seeded for the uh, US Open. Do you think he can threaten there? Or do you think that he doesn't beat the the top 10 which is full of kind of hardcore dogs like Daniil Medvedev, Andre Rublev, you know, Carlos Alcaraz to to an extent Stefano Tsitsipas? <laughs> I think every ma- every big match with him is a coin flip. It's just the question, could he... Even if he was, say, a top 32 seed, he could be meeting Medvedev in the third round and then have to back it up by beating Sissipas in the quarterfinals. You know what I mean? It, it, it's that relentless yeah. backing up. And I think... He said he was exhausted be... today, which I'm not surprised. Yeah, and I think there will be better players at the US Open because they're not so good on grass, mm. if, if that makes sense. So I think it'll be tougher for him to necessarily go and win that. But... Look, I don't, I don't want to downplay his achievement or anything. I'm, you know, you know, I've always been a big fan of his brand of tennis and always thought he's comfortably good enough to reach this level. I just, I'm not sure it'll happen consistently. I think he was pretty honest about that as well, wasn't he? In kind of yeah. the comments he had about it. But you never know. You never know. The talent's there. The application seems like it's been there the last few weeks. He's, he was quite honest about that, you know, talking about not been going out for beers and stuff. You know, that actually can help, Nick, mm. sometimes. <laughs> kind of being in the zone. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I, if you, I didn't think he'd win a Grand Slam from probably the age of 25. I thought his time had passed. I'd say the chances increased by maybe like 7% and will increase again by 30% when Novak and Rafa disappear but he could yeah. disappear by the age of 30 this is the flip side like i don't know how long he goes you know he's made a million quid today yeah <laughs> Be quite, you know that's a lot of money for someone who's not that invested in tennis and kind of it's always talked about winding it down i i hope he gets the bit between his teeth and carries on because he's great to watch he gets eyes on this sport and you know whatever else you know what people i him, love him Wimbledon Wimbledon 2026 that's that's, that's the my, first year you think Novak that's my is prediction gone. yeah no Novak realistically what about Berrettini oh, yeah Berrettini would be a threat obviously he, you know he's been hard done by this one hasn't he really yeah but like he but was Ber- amazing form Berrettini versus Kyrgios like it's a, top, it's a coin flip there's a total yeah, coin flip yeah and I would say Kyrgios has the better backhand um I'd agree, but present. Kyrgios would struggle to get it to Berrettini's backhand the way yeah, he was serving before. Um, and then what? I mean, Alcaraz, I think, is going to be good on grass. I think he's going to be a problem on grass eventually. Um, Hercats isn't Felix. going away. I'm just, I'm, I'm refusing to buy the Felix, whatever Felix is selling at the moment, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, like, you know, he's got, to start yeah, winning, he's got to start winning big matches. It's the same with, the same with Dennis. I absolutely love Dennis Shapovalov. I think he's brilliant to watch, but... He seems to be A, an idiot, and B, a bottle job. (laughs) You know, like, those two things are not great. Um, Canadian listeners won't be happy. We do love them both, really. We just want more from them, don't we? Because they're they're so good. George, don't get me wrong. I mean, I love watching Denis Shapovalov play. I think his his backhand is one of the most beautiful shots in tennis. Like, like, by a distance. The jumping left-handed, one-handed backhand. I mean, it's (laughs) bloody mesmeric. But he just does so many stupid things and says so many stupid things and doesn't back it up by winning big, big matches. Uh, I, you know, I, I was saying to someone earlier about this podcast, I try not to be opinionated. 
because it's not my role. My role is to kind of steer the ship. But sometimes I feel I've got to rock the boat as well. So I apologise if you're a big Dennis Pavlov fan. If you want to let me know how wrong I am, then there's two things you can do. One, you can let us know uh, on Twitter or on email at lovetennispod, lovetennispod at gmail.com. Or next week, you can go to my Twitter. I will put my Xbox handle on there and you can take me on in Match Point Tennis Championships. As you know, they've been sponsoring us throughout Wimbledon. It's been great. It means we can do a podcast for you every day. Um, the game came out last week on the 7th of July. So if you're not already an expert, you're behind. So catch up. It's great fun to play. You can create your own player and go around the tour and make all the decisions that players have to make about you know, whether to dump your girlfriend and move to them. No, I mean, you don't, can't do that. But you can play good tournaments. Uh, you can play real players. There's a load of licensed players in there. Um, I recently won my first title in my career mode against Pablo Carreño Booster, and it was extremely satisfying. Um, although he is a tough old opponent. Uh, so yeah, you can play me online because it's multi-platform. So it doesn't matter if you've got PC, PlayStation 4 or 5 or Xbox, you can log on and take me on. Um, just finally, George, I want to talk very briefly um, because I'm a bit worried she might walk past and get embarrassed by me being so nice about her. Um, Sue Barker today kind of closed the book on 30 years of presenting BBC uh, Wimbledon's BBC's Wimbledon coverage. She, for most listeners... She is the face and the voice of Wimbledon. George, I mean, I assume it's the same for you, really. Yeah, definitely. I think I saw Liam Brody sum up quite nicely that she, she's probably had as big an impact on this tournament as the majority of the players over the last yeah. 30 years. You know, she's been such a kind of constant figure. Um, I always remember as a little boy, you know, when my mum used to watch Wimbledon and... I'd see her every night at about what well, was six o'clock, kind of wrapping up the matches, and that was kind of a lot of how I first got into watching tennis with those kind of highlights packages. She used to like, was it Wimbledon today? I think it's mm, today at Wimbledon. It's now called today at Wimbledon. Sorry, it's been a few years since I've been watching the BBC coverage before this year, so I'm a bit rusty on the linger. Um, but yeah, look, it's yeah, she's an excellent presenter. She's gonna be hard to to replace. She obviously knows her stuff, but you'd never think about her as. Sue Barker, the tennis player, half the time it's just Sue Barker, the presenter, which you know I think speaks volumes about how good she's been at that job that most people will, in our generation mm. will view her as presenter rather than tennis player. So yeah, sorely missed. I know you you're a big fan and you'll probably give her, but I was going to say a bitchery, but that's the wrong word. But, <laughs> you know, a celebration. Um, yeah, she just broadcasting is very very difficult, and I know as someone who does it very very badly how difficult it is to to host a group of rambunctious people you know let's face it she she is on telly with some pretty like loudmouth people you know john McEnroe, the ultimate loudmouth tim henman who has actually become quite loudmouth um pat cash billy jean king tracy austin you know talented bro- broadcasters but often people with lots of big opinions and she sort of navigates it so seamlessly and i think most people probably don't notice her and that is actually the sign of a really good anchor is someone who who isn't who just kind of goes under the radar and you never i can't remember ever making a mistake you know Mm -hmm. i'm sure she has and i'm sure people will point them out but she she just so kind of makes it sound so easy and she i always think a good broadcaster or a good presenter is someone who you wouldn't mind having sat next to you at lunch like (laughs) you, you don't have to be friends with them but someone who you get sat next to and you go, oh, well, that was actually quite nice, like, you know, and, and quite inoffensive and fine. Um, I speak as someone who is often a terrible person to sit next to at lunch, so um, <laughs> I know exactly what I'm talking about. But, yeah, it's sad to see her go. We don't know who's going to replace her yet. Um, talk of Claire Balding doing it, uh, who's another 
someone I have a huge amount of time for. Um, Isha Gua as well, who's been doing great work on the cricket and I know has been working on the tennis this year as well for the first time and seems to have gone down okay. So we'll see what it looks like. I know tennis is going to move forward and the BBC is going to move forward, but I think for some of us, it'll always be Sue Barker. Just as football was always Deadline and right. athletics was always Steve Ryder. You just knew where you were. They were the people that you knew and, and they were the people you grew up with and I don't think you can ever replace that. Novak seemed quite grateful um, to her, his help, reminding him it was a, his anniversary today as well. So Yes. I that but you mentioned McEnroe then. I just wanted to quickly say before we kind of wrap things up that my housemates saw McEnroe this week and they were very pleased to tell me they'd seen him. Um, do you know where they saw him? Uh, Hemingway's? Not Hemingway's. Um, it's a very un-tennis related thing. <laughs> okay, tell me. I think apparently he's been on social media. I haven't looked at it, but um, he he turned up at a Pearl Jam gig with his guitar and was <laughs> oh, playing yeah. upside down. Yeah, so. he like, he he's a he's but very very keen they were on there, his own guitar. They were very pleased. <laughs> Super. I didn't know who he was. They were like, oh, some tennis guy was there last night. What was his name? Jeez, <laughs> amazing, amazing. Um, it's been a terrific championships. I'm I'm looking. The sun is literally setting on the championships and on me. Um, so I've got to try Beautiful and find a, a hostelry that's still open and uh, try and find some dinner. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, thank you for joining me, George, as always. I'm grateful that you fit me into your busy schedule. I was going to say, I've done quite well in the second half of the tournament, haven't I? It yes, wasn't yes. my strongest first week no. of a slam, but I've, I've grown into my own. And for those who are missing Calvin, he is in a flat without Wi-Fi tonight, which is why he's <laughs> not on. We'll try and get him later in the week. I know you're all missing him. Um, apart from that, thank you very much for listening and, well, come back next time. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.